Welcome to the Careers, Employability and Skills podcast from Queen's University Belfast. This episode was recorded as part of the Industry Insight series and features experts within the health and life sciences industry, Dr. Robert Gundy, Francis Weldon, Jerry Kindlin and Dr. Sheila McCartan and is hosted by Claudine Sutherland. Okay guys, so good afternoon and you're very welcome to this fourth webinar session of our Industry Insight series where today, along with some industry experts, we'll be looking at the health and life science sector in Northern Ireland. So this series of events is designed to help you think about different ways and places that you could use your degree. My name's Claudine, because I know I probably haven't met most of you before, and I work in careers, employability, skills at Queen's. I'll be your host for this webinar, which should last probably about an hour, and I'm going to keep it high level and hopefully interactive. So please do post questions or comments in the chat throughout the duration. Um, we'll ensure to get them picked up at the appropriate time and please remember and i can see you all know this anyway it's been the drill for the last year but um, keep the cameras off and on mute particularly as i know there's some actual classes um joining so we don't want that that background noise so <clears throat> guys you'll all be studying different things and at different stages of your study and indeed different stages of your thinking about your future but obviously due to the fact that you're here all motivated by starting to think about well where could you work how could you apply your interest to a fulfilling career what industries are growing and what are some of the, the market trends so we're delighted to welcome industry professionals to these events to present in an informal way factors influencing the working world for graduates in 2021 and beyond and today as we know we're going to be focusing on health and life sciences those um, slides on a wee bit. Um, obviously this is a huge industry area so we're not going to cover all bases today but we will run this event in the same format but with a different angle again so keep your eye on the comms and on my future. So what's happening this afternoon? Well delighted as I said we'll be joined by four different employers each with their own expert and unique view of and experience in the sector to offer insight into our topic today. So first up, delighted to welcome Dr. Rob Gundy. So hi again, Rob. Um, Rob is a scientist, a business leader, and founder and director of Anglesark. Am I pronouncing that right, Rob? Oh, yeah. Happy days. Um, and after hearing from Rob, you'll have the opportunity to hear from three individuals working and leading in the sector. So from Almac, from Seagate, and from Exploristics, who will join us in a panel discussion. So the objectives of this session, and I think it's always useful to kind of look at this now, um, because as we're going through the discussion, you can refer back to them and then hopefully try and get some tangible outcomes for yourself. But it's to understand more contextually about the current working world dynamics in Northern Ireland, um, to start to understand how a variety of industries are actually interested in students from a wide variety of degree subjects that perhaps you hadn't thought of before. Um, and also to start to think about your own options and diverse areas of work that you could currently enter. So Rob, as the world around us continues to change at a really fast speed from a wide variety of perspectives, so do organisations and individuals need to continue to adapt and evolve in response to this. So it's really important, we believe, for graduates to understand the external market and in many ways they might be able to place themselves in that market. So delighted to have you along today to perhaps spend the next 15 or so minutes introducing yourself and your background and then perhaps helping the audience understand a little bit more about the broader sector. So, you know, what are some of the key trends, opportunities and challenges? Um, what sort of rules perhaps are existing in the sector and how might that be changing? So. Um, a big call for 15 minutes, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's it's not about answers Um, you know, it's about pushing some of those questions and some of those thoughts out there. So um, yeah, without further ado, over to you and I'll stop sharing my screen here. Well, thanks. Thanks, Claudine. And, and, um, and I think this is really a really important kind of opportunity to reflect on, on the environment, the employment environment post graduation and understand, you know, what the what the opportunities might be and, and and how you might avail of them because I think with every year that passes the opportunities change and become more numerous um, but require adaptability and uh, you'll hear about my career now and you'll understand that it's nothing if not a, a, a story of adaptation uh, uh, adapting to conditions and and um, and being creative so. I'll start from the beginning. So I, my first degree at Liverpool University was in pharmacology. 
um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and um, at the end of that, um, I got a 2-1, which was exactly what um, um, I kind of thought I would do, which was good. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to do, but I knew that my imagination had been really captured by neuroscience, neuropharmacology, excitotoxicity in particular. So I pursued a PhD with um, Professor Dame Nancy Rothwell in Manchester University on um, stroke and, 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 um, and the immune system within the brain. Um, and, and that was an incredible experience with an incredible mentor who um, said to me, you know, what do you want to do with, with this PhD? Where do you want to go? And I had a really strong sense of uh, the commercial side of things, wanting to go into industry, because I felt that would be the quickest way to get impact in patients. So I was, you know, a medical researcher, was doing a PhD uh, because I wanted to save people's lives. Um, and I felt that, that being in industry was the quickest way to do that. Okay, so um, uh, very kindly, my supervisor, because she was a good one, um, I provided a number of options within industry for me to progress my career. And I chose to do that with a pharmaceutical company called Sharing Plow, which is now part of the Merck Group um, in Italy. Uh, they had a research center, and I took a, a, a postdoc position there. Um, um, looking at stroke and um, how uh, the cannabinoid system works with stroke. And that was two and a half years of research in an industrial context, but basic research trying to develop early stage drugs um, uh, for, for, for sharing plow. Um, at this point, very linear career progression as I moved to GSK to do a similar, slightly more senior job back in the UK heading up a small team of in vivo scientists uh, working on stroke, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease um, in, in Har between Harlow and Stevenage. Um, again, as a straight bench scientist, um, trying to discover early, early, early drug discovery and, and development. Now, at this point, I start to get seduced by the business of pharmaceuticals. So, you know, how do we progress a drug? Where do we get the innovation from? Who's, who else is there? Who's competing with us? All that kind of thing that isn't necessarily science, um, practical science, but is, is um, the application of that science and why does it matter and how do we make a business out of it? So I started to, to work with the due diligence teams who were going in to look at external companies. Should we buy this company? Should we buy this asset? And that was really, really exciting. So I, I knew then that I wanted to move away from the bench and become uh, more of a strategic scientist looking at the business side of things. At that point, a company I was outsourcing some of my practical work um, uh, for in Finland approached me and said, we want to become a proper pharmaceutical company. We want to find assets and build a portfolio. Um, will you come and join us as chief scientific officer and, and help us grow a biotech company in neuroscience in, in Finland? So I did that. Um, and I, 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 I moved to that company as chief scientific officer. We started to build a portfolio, um, allowed me to have a look at um, academic research, have a look at early stage innovation and license that, do deals to bring it into our small company based on the fact that we would share some of the value as we developed that drug and then um, out licensed it to, to, to larger companies. So I was with that company for about 18 months and then we um, we we run into the um, the financial crash of 2007 2008, um, and um, the the VC money that was keeping us going kind of uh, dried up a little bit because things were very tough financially. And at that point, I started to look at other options. This is where my Northern Irish um, story begins because then I was approached by Almac, uh, more of which you'll hear later from Francis, um, who you'll enjoy um, listening to because she's brilliant. Um, uh, and, and Almac approached me and said, um, we want to start a biotech company um, uh, in oncology and we need someone to look after the business side of things. Do you want to move over to Northern Ireland and help us start this company? And that, at the point, at that point where the financial markets were very flat, um, the, the opportunity to, to work with Alan McClay, who had started and turned Almac into a very profitable business, wanted to put his money into building a biotech from scratch in oncology in Northern Ireland. Um, and so I jumped at the chance, came over here in 2008 and for seven years helped build that business in, in Craigavon, um, as well as helping build businesses around technology that Almac had um, it, it, through IP in, in drug discovery and drug delivery 
and worked with a great bunch of people to help build a biotech company, um, acquire assets from outside. So look at the environment, who's doing what, who can we partner with, where is the good science, can we bring that into ALMAC, can we develop um, collaborations across academia with Queen's and other universities, can we build those relationships? And that's really satisfying because it allows you to develop a really wide network across the globe, understand where the good science is, understand how to acquire that science, understand how to sell that science on to bigger companies, understand what they want. It's all about human reaction and interaction, understanding how I develop a network of, 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 um, of uh, professionals within biotech and pharmaceuticals so that I can find technology, we can develop it in LMAC and I can sell it on. Uh, there's, there's business in here as well, so it's combining scientific rigor and diligence together with knowing the process of developing a drug, together with being able to shape a deal, a financial deal that sells that drug discovery asset onto a bigger company and makes money for LMAC. And that's what I did for seven years. Uh, at seven years, um, I decided that I'd, I'd done a lot of that and I wanted to go out on my own and be more entrepreneurial. Now, at the same time, I began to advise Northern Irish government um, on science and technology policy. So I was lucky enough to be asked to join Matrix, which was is Northern Ireland Science and Technology Expert Panel, and advises the Department for the Economy here in Northern Ireland on how they should create an environment through policy to allow science and technology companies to flourish. So I stepped out of ALMAC, uh, created my own consultancy um, in order to advise companies and get involved in companies to grow and flourish and raise money and develop their businesses. And at the same time, I started to advise government. Um, so for seven or eight years now, I've, I've done both those things. The government thing, uh, the government role has, has developed significantly. I'm now one of the main advisors for science and technology in Northern Ireland for government. Um, and I interact with um, uh, chief scientists across uh, UK government to, to shape policy for the UK and Northern Ireland. Um, I, in the last seven years, I've variously raised money for companies. I've been the CEO of a couple of companies, a couple of Queen spin outs. Um, uh, and um, uh, more mature companies in the um, uh, uh, consumer diagnostics space. Um, it's allowed me to come in and come out of companies. Very flexible situation um, uh, as an independent consultant, but it's essentially cashing in all that experience of being a scientist, being a business development professional, um, converting all that experience into something that's more flexible and allows me to more on be on, more entrepreneurial, have different types of interesting companies. Um, over the last year I've or, or, or so, I've also been become involved in an investment vehicle um, based in Miami, in Florida, that is currently trying to raise $250 million um, to invest in early stage companies. So coming full circle, I'm now um, trying to raise a fund to become an investor in, um, in young companies to help bring them through leveraging the experience I've had over 22, three years um, uh, to help them become successful companies by raising money. Now, that's an entirely different endeavor, asking people for $250 million um, to invest in things that you will find um, is, is a really tough ask, um, but it's really interesting and it allows you to articulate a vision um, to people from Japan to um, uh, California um, in terms of what you think you can do to help them um, uh, impact human health, build businesses and back young entrepreneurs. So that's kind of this end of my career that's gone from being a bench scientist through to being a commercial professional within a number of different companies trying to monetize science through to being an advisor to government to companies and to, to, to academia as well. And I get to spend time talking to students as a um, an honorary lecturer at Queen's and I've, I've held that position at King's College London as well. So there's a lot in there and it's been a fairly circuitous path, but I suppose the bottom line is um, be brave, do what interests you, that will change across your career. Um, but understanding how um, business works and how your skills 
can be of value to private companies is really important in that. And the more you're exposed to small and large and medium-sized companies and understand how people make money out of life sciences, um, because ultimately, if you can't make money out of it, the patient doesn't benefit. That's the most important thing, but you've got to understand what happens in between. It's understanding how you make money out of the skills you have and what people need to drive the businesses. And if you compare, if you can couple your experience and your 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 um, uh, training with that knowledge through your network and through your experience within the private sector, um, you should be able to adapt to whatever the environment requires of you. As, a, as an individual and as an employee. So I'll finish there, Claudine, and, and hopefully that, that that we can answer a few questions, but that, hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, super. Yeah, Thank super. you very much, Rob. And um, I think, you know, what's probably really interesting for the audience then is, you know, you're talking about do what interests you, but that's not necessarily linear and that will change at different points of your career. And I think you've accurately shown that, you know, from, from science to finance, to commerce, networking, business development, academia entrepreneur you know different facets of your your career comes in yet you've got a, a you know very technical background with your your phd and um, guys if you don't feel that you know comfortable yet asking questions perhaps even put a comment into the chat and then we can have a discussion around that comment um, but in the meantime rob i think i'll just ask you know if you think back to where these guys are now which is mostly undergrad but not predominantly and i'm certainly not gone out into industry yet you know um, when you were at that point, you know, did you did you have a vision of this sort of pathway that your career was going to take, or, you know, have you any advice? I suppose um, apart from I know we've got that big picture, be brave piece, but anything else behind that maybe? Yeah, no. I, to be honest, when I was at my, in my undergrad, uh, I didn't really know. Okay, um, but it was it was when I started doing my PhD, I realised that I didn't want to be an academic. Um, but I did want to have maximum impact with my science. And so I, I realized then, you know, a year after graduating that um, uh, the uh, it was the private sector that, that, that held my interest. And that's important because what I would say is, you know, um, maybe you have an ultimate ambition to be the CEO of a company or to, you know, do something really high impact, but you have to have a foundation, right? And that foundation for me was working in big pharma. Um, I, I, I um, worked for large companies for, for, for seven or so years, GSK and Sharing Plow, and, and I knew I didn't want to do that ultimately because you get lost in a big machine and, you know, I'm, don't get me wrong, there's some really valuable positions within those companies and, and they all present uh, kind of really compelling employment propositions. But um, uh, what I would say is... Um, understand that you need to lay a foundation professionally in order to to pursue what you want to do ultimately and for me those seven years in big pharma helped me learn the process of drug discovery the business of drug discovery um the uh the the, the component parts of it so that i could start to do things that were slightly less obvious later with that background so yeah. see the first part of your career as a foundation to be built upon. Now, you, you, it's, that's in, particularly important in life and health sciences because it's such a highly regulated, conservative industry um, that you need, you kind of need to know what's going on. And you can't really shortcut that. It's different if you're in in tech. I think I think you can build an app um, as a as a as a 19 year old if you if you have the right kind of um, uh, experience and skill sets around you. But you can't really develop drugs or impact human health without that foundation. Um, but don't see it as cast in stone your career is going to be. If you take a job with GSK or AstraZeneca, it doesn't mean to say that you're going to retire there. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. But it will provide you with invaluable experience to start that career. You know? Thank you. And, and do you see, you know, in terms of where we are now in 2021 within the sector you're working in, do you see any sort of sea shifts or changes in terms of the opportunities or the challenges within the sector um, in the last couple of years? I do, very much so. I, I think, um, you know, increasingly um, understanding how the world of work works. So you can't just come, you know, if you get a chance to intercalate or any experience in industry while you're doing your, your degree or your PhD, 
do that because it makes you so much more employable and gives you a better idea of what's out there for a start. OK, also what I would say is the uh, the the borders between being a different a particular kind of scientists are very very blurry these days right so yeah. when i when i did my you know I, I graduated in 1996 and i was a pharmacologist that's all i was right um but i think graduating as a pharmacologist in 2021 requires an appreciation of how data works of how um, technology, digital technologies interface with your understanding of how a drug works or how the body works or, you know, um, how from a molecular level things work. How does the data you're producing impact on that? And what are the technologies that allow you to take advantage of that? A bigger picture is needed, I think, now, because disciplines are so much more integrated now than they were 20 or 30 years ago. I think that's changed incredibly. Um, you know, you don't, you didn't have startups as well um, when I first started my career. It, was, it wasn't, it was never an option to go into a startup. Um, and, and so I, without wanting to contradict what I've just said about, you know, um, the importance of creating a foundation with a bigger company, um, there are more opportunities to, to join startups these days. And, and that could be you know, a compelling proposition, but I, and actually, you get very close to running a business very quickly if you join a startup, because it's it's very hand to mouth. Even if you're a startup and you just raise five million um, pounds to to do your thing, five million pounds isn't a lot of money, and the CEO of that company will be working frantically to understand how best to apportion that money. And if you're working there, you'll see that you'll see that happening. If you're a, a startup company with five people in, then you'll you'll know what the CEO's up to, and you'll learn from it very quickly. So that that's an opportunity that didn't exist when when I was at this stage that that needs to be appreciated. And in in Northern Ireland, the startup scene is burgeoning. There's more money coming in than ever there ever has been. There is there are more entrepreneurs with the motivation to do things independently than there ever has been. It's a really fertile environment. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're right, maybe 15, 20 years ago then there would have been a little bit more fear about joining a startup because you did think of your career in a linear way, are you there for the next 20 years? But actually it's so changeable and there's so many opportunities. It's about just taking that leap for a couple of years and getting that broad um, experience. Um, we've just got a, a note here from someone saying, I'm a bioinformatics MSc student um, mm -hmm. and also wanted to enter Big Pharma as, as, as my first role. Um, so I guess, you know, any hints and tips around that, Rob? But yeah, there's lots of opportunities, is what you're saying. Right. Yeah, bioinformaticists um, really, really um, uh, employable at the moment. Um, lots of options, lots of options here. Um, so France <laughs> might need um, uh, bioinformaticians. Um, Diaceutics, another really great company that, that are very heavily uh, data orientated. Um, that, that, that need that, that kind of skill set as well. Um, really valuable. The, the key to that is, is understanding where the maximum impact is. How does my ability to organize and appreciate and analyze data coming out of a biological system, where's that gonna have its most impact? And it's that knowledge of the context that's really important um, coming with a, a skill set like that, I think. Brilliant, thank you. Um, another note here, studying biological sciences in your, your last year of study. So nice to meet you all. Um, in the process of applying for placement year. So yeah, that's from uh, Victoria Irwin. Um, placements, as Rob has said, hugely, hugely important, right? Any sort of experience you can get um, outside academia before you sort of move into that first role can only be very helpful. It is, and, I, and I'll tell you why, Claudine. It's something that you know. I think if you've 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 been in the world of work for a while, you take for granted. But you know, the ability to organise yourself, the ability to appreciate that it, your job is part of a process, and you have to do certain things in certain ways to fit in with the next person who's going to do the next thing in a certain way. Okay. Now it seems intuitive to say that, but you know, when you when you've been a student, it doesn't work like that. You're very self-orientated okay you just need to complete your degree and you complete your coursework and you study for your exams and all the rest of it and that's fine to get you to the hurdle that is getting your degree right the world of work is very different okay it requires appreciating what everybody else is up to fitting in with that and being able to again just basics of organize understand what is my objective here right my role requires me to do this right that's the most important thing how i get there 
is up to me and my creativity and my skills, but I need to complete that thing, right? And, and, and that thing allows the next person to do that thing, right? And that's what work is all about. And that's how it differs from um, coming out of a degree type situation. It's again, it sounds intuitive, but but that's what the experience in work allows you to, to bring to you your next employer. Yeah, and I think even things that perhaps maybe you know some of these guys haven't thought of when they're really heavily science focused is you know how you influence people in those environments, and it's even looking at managerial skills as well, isn't it? And working with diverse groups of people with sometimes slightly conflicting objectives. So. Um, yeah, there's a lot in it and it's and it's really, really exciting. Um, great great advice and insight from Rob. Um, I'm studying medical physics, so that's interesting as well. So we're kind of marring some of those kind of um, skill sets that you're talking about. Yeah, medical physics, super interesting area. I mean, the, um, I can't, the so as an investor, one of the areas I'm really interested in is, is radio pharmaceuticals. So the combination of a drug with with um, a radioisotope to kind of, kind of not only hit a biological mechanism but employ physics to kind of destroy cancer cells, for instance. And that that is a, there's a lot of science in there, and you have to unpick a lot of component parts there. You have to understand how different, um, especially when you when you when you put that into what does that mean for manufacturing things like that. Really complicated, but the human impact there is so great because you're combining two very difficult things two very different things to 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 to, to improve human health so really exciting area a lot to understand there so um a, a lot of uh, a lot of work available in the future to figure all that out i think a lot uh, so i think we're just bang on on time for you rob and you're i know you've got a, a super busy diary so really genuinely appreciate you coming in and giving some of those big picture insights to the student I had a last question for you, which was really sort of, you know, what's the last kind of nugget of advice to give to the students? But to be honest, I think there's so much in there already to unpick. Um, you know, so it really is that idea of getting whatever sort of industry experience, be it a short term placement, um, you know, an internship. Um, I'm starting to really think about that big picture and how you use your technical skills in a broader way. Um, and I think sharing your journey where you've really, really done that in the casebook way, I'm sure will be really interesting food for thought. But I don't know if you've got a couple of final words then just to kind of conclude. Well, just, you know, if, you, if you're looking to do, looking to want to do in the future, to just understand what you really like doing. What is it yeah. in your degree that's really excited you? And pursue that. It's what I did as becoming a neuroscientist. I just you know, did what I really, really interested me, and that will lead to, you know, if you're interested in that, you it will lead to something that, that's really fulfilling um, down the road for sure. That's a great way to end, and I'll go back to a point you made a few minutes ago. And do what interests you, but remember that that will change, um, and the pathway is not linear. So, the world's your oyster, really. So, absolutely. absolutely. Rob, thank you so much. Um, much appreciated, and we'll talk to you soon. All the best. Okay, my pleasure, Claudine. Take care. Thanks, guys, everybody. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Um, okay, folks, so um, a lot of really interesting things in that. And um, we're now going to move on to the second half of our session, which is um, really going to develop in some of those thoughts um, our panel discussion. So, huge thanks to our guest speakers for giving up their time this afternoon. I'm delighted to welcome today Francis Weldon from Almac. Do you want to turn your camera on, Francis? Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, or Jerry Kindlin from Seagate Technologies. Hi, Jerry. And um, Dr. Sheila McCartan from Exploristics. So, hi, Sheila. Do you want to put your camera on? I saw her there, so she'll probably um, come on up in a moment. Um, so guys, you know, I'd, I'd like to ask the brief, the, the three of you to briefly introduce yourselves before we get started. Obviously, I've got your bios and I can do that, but I think it's it's much better when you do that yourself um, and give that sort of personal view. After we've had to hear just a couple of minutes about you and your organisation, then I know we're going to hear from you for a few minutes more um, around some of those kind of um, big nugget questions perhaps a little bit about your organisation, who it recruits and why, um, and then we'll get into some more of the thoughts that that, um, that Rob was, was looking into around, you know, um, some non-linear pathways and how students can start to use their, their degrees. 
in different ways. Certainly, you know, work in the career service, we do hear a lot of, you know, what Rob has said, and you're probably going to talk about that as well. And that's if those technical skills are, of course, very, very necessary. Um, but you need other things um, outside of that and how the students can really start to think how to, to piece those things together. So without further ado, as I said, thank you. And Francis, we'll maybe hear from you first, if that's okay. Okay, so uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us and thanks to Claudine for the invitation. So I'm Francis Weldon. Um, I'm STEM Outreach Manager at Almac Group. And Almac Group, as you're probably aware, is a global uh, contract development and manufacturing organization providing a whole range of integrated services across the drug development life cycle to uh, pharma and biotech companies around the world. So the work we're involved in ranges anything from R&D to the manufacture of active pharmaceutical ingredient and drug product um, for pre-clip for preclinical, clinical and, and commercial use, um, the development biomarker discovery, development and commercialization, um, supporting clinical trials, whether that be through clinical trial supply or developing software solutions to help the running of clinical trials, um, as well as um, you know, commercial manufacture and launch of, of approved medicines. So um, my background is that I have a scientific background, a degree in analytical science, followed by a PhD from Dublin City University. Um, and I then took up an academic post and was kind of thinking about that track for me. But I left academia. Um, I think that's an interesting fact about me. I took the unusual move of moving from academia to industry. Um, and I moved to Almac in 2001, where I worked then for 13 years um, in the analytical development team. Um, I left Almac in 2013, moved to Queen's to work in Business Alliance in research and enterprise, and then came back to my role, which is in the marketing team in Almac, a STEM outreach manager. So I suppose my path's taken my career to different places, um, but what I've always um, stuck true to is something, as I think Rob had mentioned, that inspired me, that interested me, that motivated me. And I feel that my job makes a difference every day that I've worked um, I've been I've been doing something that I find fulfilling and worthwhile. So that's basically me. Thank you. Thanks, Francis and um, Jerry. Hi, uh, I'm Jerry Kennan. I work for a company called Seagate Technology, who are one of the world's leaders in data storage. Uh, we're the biggest hard drive manufacturer in the world with a market cap of about 20 billion and about 40,000 people worldwide. Probably our most high tech plant is in Derry, where we have 1,500 people. Uh, in a wafer fabrication uh, uh, site, uh, highly technical with over about somewhere between six to 800 engineers, many of whom working from home, which is important. And we both develop and, and manufacture heads. I think unique about this drives is that we've witnessed an incredible change just by looking at our customers as the world has moved from sort of desktop computing to clients, uh, then to the cloud and now it moves to the age and that really is our customers. We went from Dell to Google to Microsoft and now we're going to age customers. So um, huge change. I am a qualified engineer uh, a long, long time ago and I spent most of my life either managing in logistics, operation or technical groups. Uh, I've always stayed in Ireland, although I've managed for many years global groups from, from this part of the world. But I'm bringing, uh, as of the last two years, some head of government relations, which uh, brings non-linear almost to its end degree. Um, I'm working in a department that traditionally would be the domain of lawyers, ex-diplomats, government officials. But because the world's changing, the data sphere's changing so much, uh, the companies like ours need people who understand the technology and, and how things are made the way we are. Uh, it, if, and to provide that impact into things like data security, data privacy, uh, even uh, just all government policy, Brexit, uh, recovery and resilience, post-COVID stuff. So I am an example. I'm not trained to do it, but just experiences of different roles, different companies over the years, and from you know trade associations, president of the Chamber of Commerce, that got me to where I am today. Okay. Sorry, Tony, you're on mute. You're on mute there. 
Thank you. <laughs> um, Sheila, I think we've lost. I was just trying to get in contact with her. She was online and we've lost her. So I'm sure she'll join us um, in a little while. So again, if we can have a couple of more minutes. So thank I, you for that. I you can see Sheila. Oh, Sheila? Yeah, hello. Are you there? Oh, great. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Sheila, do you want to turn your camera on? I saw you were offline there, so that's great you're back. Um, do you want to just turn your camera on? I have it on according to mine, but um, perhaps it's misbehaving. Can you see me now? Perfect. Hello, yes, how are you? Um, according yeah. to my setup, I was all good, but sure, just goes to show you. That's um, no problem. We'll just do a brief introduction, Sheila, and then we'll hear from um, from each of the three of you for a little insight. So. Grand. Uh, so I work for Exploristics and uh, what Exploristics do is uh, we have biostatistical service and also we have um, biosimulation software and we provide support for anybody that's running clinical trials and within the company you have um, a services team that would do kind of like the straightforward kind of analysis of any clinical trial outputs and support in general for clinical trials but we also have uh, the strategic consulting team which is kind of nearly like um, we will kind of handle any unusual questions or queries or difficulties that somebody setting up a clinical trial may have. So they would look into saying, well, what's going to be the best way to run this clinical trial in terms of cost, in terms of timelines and things like that. And we also have marketing and business development as well. Um, like Francis and Jerry, my uh, career pathway, well, I don't is all over the show. I'm not saying that yours is all over the show, but mine certainly is. And um, I had started off in a degree of molecular biology and then went away off and did a master's in science communication. And I worked in science communication and outreach for about five years and then moved into teaching. So I was a secondary school teacher. But then I realised I don't really like working with children, so I moved, went off and did a PhD coming back to the molecular biology again. Uh, straight out of the PhD, I did regulatory affairs, but that didn't suit. So I moved on to ALMAC. I worked in ALMAC as a technician in uh, ALMAC diagnostics for a while. And then I went off and did a postdoc in the University of Oxford. And I was there for about six or seven years and then came back in postdoc in Queens before moving over to Exploristics. And the work in the postdoc was uh, working with kind of um, high dimensional data. And when it comes to working with things like that, um, using kind of well-known statistical software like GraphPad or that just doesn't cut it anymore. So you need to move over into programming. And that's what enabled me to stepping step, use it as a stepping stone into working in Exploristics, where we do quite a bit of programming as well. Lovely. Thank you very much, Sheila. And thanks to the three of you for that introduction. So I can go back to each of you and then we'll do questions and perhaps just spend a couple of minutes outlining if each of you could give your views on what the key skill is that you believe is important for students to be working on now um, outside of their technical in order to succeed in the graduate market within your organisations um, or industries. Um, Francis, we can start with you. And do you want me to put them, those two wee slides up now? Is that useful? Um, well, probably the answer to this question I can give without the slide. Um, okay, but then great. if you want to put up the slide, I can show the degree pathways. I mean, I, when thinking about this, it was hard to pick one skill, but the yeah. one that I would pick out would be communication. And what I mean by that is to succeed in the graduate market or if you're applying for placements, it's about how you can articulate your skills and knowledge uh, to an employer so that they look at your CV or your application and it's a no brainer for them to shortlist you and invite you to interview. So you, what you need to do is you need to think about the holistic view of your technical knowledge and um, your you know, e extracurricular um, experience as well, be it part-time jobs or volunteering and look at a job description and be able to communicate how you meet the essential and desirable criteria on that job description. That is really, really important to be able to do that. And to do that, you need to understand the roles um, and understand what the company's about. Um, and, you know, again, bring across your passion for doing the job in the organisation. So I think being able to communicate that clearly, both on paper as well as at interview, is really important. And to remember that you can do so much to prepare and come armed with the knowledge that equips you to answer the questions is, is something to bear in mind. So, I mean, maybe if you'd like to put up the two slides now, it might be easiest um, because I'm conscious of the time and I'm, I'm going to put a timer on here so I don't uh, go over on you. 
Claudine. Okay, you're fine. Here we go. Um, so this links into the next question, so we can actually just yeah. run two questions simultaneously. Okay. So. Fine. Basically, in terms of career paths, I know this is a health science sort of in a cluster and meeting, but just to impress upon you, developing pharmaceuticals is a whole team effort involving people from lots of different disciplines. Um, and this is a snapshot of the job families that we have at Almac. So whilst many of you in you know listening today, maybe within the scientific R&D, I've seen people biology, bioinformatics, biological sciences, medical physics, um, there are equally so many jobs um, outside of the lab um, within quality, within project management, within business development, regulatory affairs, um, as, as was mentioned there. Um, but you know, and I, as I said, I work in marketing and I, I still use my STEM background, though my science background, to be able to explain um, the opportunities within ALMAC and explain what we do as an organisation. But, um, you know, just to maybe go on to the next slide then. Which is to say that, you know, I looked at the degrees available in Queen's. I mean, I know most of them anyway, but there's a whole list there and that's not an exhaustive list of where you could be coming as a placement student or a graduate to us. Because this year we've 35 placement students at ALMAC and they're not all from like chemistry, medicinal chemistry and biology, biological sciences. There'll be ones from other disciplines as well. We'll have computer science or en and engineering students. We have graduates who have psychology degrees working within our project management team. Um, we have people with engineering degrees working within quality or within project management or within manufacturing operations. And really what I would say to those who are the, the second years or if you're a master's in, uh, with, with a, a year in industry, you know, you can always look at your year in industry as an investment to try and find out what else is out there other than maybe the linear path, career path that you thought think you will take from your degree. Take a punt on something different. Take a punt on a quality role or a project management role. It's 12 months that you'll get paid for and expose you to maybe another career path that you might not have first of all considered if you were, you know, primarily within a scientific discipline and thinking about a, a linear sort of path into a laboratory role. So this is just, you know, to impress upon you that, um, and I think it probably mirrors what, what Rob will have said, there are so many different opportunities and it's that combination of, yes, your technical knowledge for many of these roles within project management quality, a, a degree in a life sciences discipline is, is, is a desirable, it's not an essential. It's all about your other skills, your teamwork and your critical thinking and problem solving, your communication skills. Um, so, you know, these are just things for you to consider uh, and just to remember that really the pharma industry is broad and wide and there are uh, opportunities and very fulfilling and rewarding career paths across no matter what area you're in. Uh, so, and really so. growing as well. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. OK, so Jerry, over to you, if you don't mind touching them on the skill piece and then maybe a little bit about the, the breadth and depth of rules. Yeah, so uh, what non-technical skills I think if I were to pick one, I, I think it would have to be empathy. Um, and I say that on two fronts. Um, one is that organisations, every organisation's changing. The old command and control and linear structure is changing. And successful organisations today are growing from the bottoms up. Uh, and really, they compete by having a series of um, uh, successful, diverse, multifunctional, multi-ethnic teams. And there's loads of evidence from Google and Microsoft data to support that. Uh, and if you're, you know, as much as we talk about our differences, we live in a very homogenous society. And if you're going to function in a, in a global virtual team, empathy is a very important thing, to be able to understand different point of views, to, to listen to them. And you mightn't agree with them, but to understand where they're coming from. So uh, from a team's point of view, but the second reason why I think empathy is really important. Many of you in your course, if you're doing innovation or productization, uh, might have heard of design thinking. And at the core of design thinking, what starts first is empathy. You need to understand the need. And in Northern Ireland, the UK, one of our weaknesses, we have great research, but we don't turn that into products, right? And key to that is successful products, is understanding that need and, 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 and having the empathy to see why society, what's the purpose for this product? Uh, and then also, how can it be viable? Because there's no point in coming up with a product that you can't afford to make and stuff. So I would say empathy. How do you get empathy? You get it, you, you know, you're not born with it. You get it by putting yourself out of your comfort zone. Engage and volunteer more. Get involved in team sports. You know, obviously, you know, take work experience, whatever work experience it is. 
but that you can get it. You learn it through your experience, uh, but be, be aware that you need it and be aware that you come from a, we all come here from a very homogenous background, much as we like that point of difference. Lovely. Thank you very much. Um, in, in, in terms of CGA, look, we traditionally have recruited from physics and chemistry, the traditional science, sciences. We have a doctoral training centre with Queen's that gives us a lot of our technical, the physics department in particular, that gives a lot of our technical talent, engineering, electronics. Re recently, as the workforce changes and IT 4.0 takes hold, you new new degrees like data analytics, AI, machine learning, virtual reality, they're all becoming really important. Uh, so you know, we're increasingly looking to those skills. But the reality is, and I think everybody said it, no matter what job you are, it's going to change uh, dramatically. Even in a short space of time, look at the, how doctor's job has changed through, through COVID. And what I would say to people, if I think of what's the pressures on Seagate and what's changed in the way we do things, but I think this applies to everybody. I think there's three things you should watch. Uh, the first one is digitalization, is the impact that these tools, the tools available are having to us now, both positive and negative, on the way we do our work. And COVID has accelerated a lot of them. The second one is decarbonization. So, you know, we're getting it all the time with COP26, but it is a real existential problem for business. And I think business and enterprise will be ahead of government because one in three firms in the world lost working days last year due to a climate change event. So you're going to find, particularly those with deep pack, the, the guys behind the data centres, coming up with solutions. And those solutions um, will probably come from this, but will also be regulated. But they're really going to radically change where we work, how we work, right? And the consequences of, of what we design, for example, power consumption and so on. And the last one is geopolitics. That's probably the reason I'm in the role I am. You know, the world is changing. The old world order is has broken down and, and COVID has changed that. And regions, governments, they're, they're looking at becoming more digitally sovereign, tech sovereign, and they're focusing on developing clusters and integrating SMEs and the whole system that was called a triple or quadruple helix, integrating everything under one purpose, but they can't be every cluster. So what you're gonna see in this in the 10X plan for Northern Ireland, you're gonna see clusters develop around farm, around life sciences, probably in Northern Ireland, FinTech, GreenTech, Advanced Manufacturing. Maybe not all of them, because it might only be two or three, but that's what's happening all over the world. So when you decide what area you get in, or where you're going to go, watch out for the cluster that's growing. And that's not about FDIs. It's about the small startups like cybersecurity that are really making a difference, that are uh, uh, really growing. So they'd be my messages. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, and over to you, Sheila, then. So we've got those two questions about the non-technical skills and then the, the organisation recruiting. Yeah. Cool. Um, non-technical skills, I guess, um, in thinking about this, it'd be an openness or willing to willing to have a crack at anything in terms of learning things. Um, if it's not outlined in your degree pathway or if there's not an emphasis on something that you are interested in to just go and develop those skill sets yourself. Um, which kind of would tie in with um, the kind of degree pathways and that that are brought on by exploristics. So exploristics, if you were to look at it, it says, you know, the emphasis is on statistics. And if I had have just looked at that, I would have run a mile because I was scared of statistics and did not feel comfortable moving into that. But then when you look a bit further, you can see that. Um, so, for example, uh, we have the people who have the maths and statistics and data analysis analysis backgrounds, data science backgrounds who do work on the uh, particularly on the services and statistical consulting side of things. But then we have the data strategy team and um, we have marketing and business development and the software development team. And we come from a kind of eclectic bunch of people. We've got people from economics. We've got people from uh, we've got plenty of life sciences people. So myself with the molecular biology background, other people have ecology backgrounds and um, people have medical backgrounds and so on. Uh, but what they have in common is that somewhere along the line, they've had a crack at doing something in terms of software development or programming, if even just just an attempt, even if it was a failed attempt. Uh, so when it comes to the likes of um, and 
Frances had uh, chatted about this earlier, where she was saying thinking in terms of how you communicate what you can achieve in terms of job description and so on for anything you're applying for. What we would be looking for is somebody who had taken a project from the start where they might have had a lot of raw data right through to the end where they have maybe presented it in one form of or, or another, whether that's a report, a poster, a paper, or even just a chat with a stakeholder. But it's all of those skill sets, and this is why I'm saying an openness to showing from getting there from the raw data right through to the completed project. And the reason why I bring that up is because there might not be opportunity for people to get um, a crack at programming in their actual master's projects or their undergraduate projects or something like that. But it was just to point out there is tons of open data on the internet and it could align with the work that they're interested in doing in terms of you know if they're looking at a particular disease area or so on there are loads of open access databases but there's also loads and loads of tutorials and uh, work packages and things to do like this with programming that they could say right i want to generate an outcome from this and if you did that and you attempted that and you could talk about that that's the kind of person that our company recruits, even if it wasn't in a formalized work setting or academic setting, if it was something they had tried for themselves, we're very much interested in because that shows a huge breadth of skills being able to do something like that. On mute again, on and off. Brilliant. Thank you for, for giving those kind of insights and um, and for our, for our students just to note that um, Jerry mentioned the 10x economy, so the economic vision for you know a decade of innovation. Um, and my colleague Carl has actually just posted the um, the headline kind of information from that into the chat, so it's useful for you guys to, to have a read and have a think about moving forward. Um, guys, I just want to move on to a, a next question, and we've kind of touched on this a, li a little bit already, but you know, perhaps to look back, and you know, these guys are, are about to go out and get that first job and that first move. Most are undergraduates, although some will be PhDs. You know, is there any advice you would perhaps give to your student self? Um, you know, when you remember back to that point, to that undergr undergrad point that they can start to kind of think about now, understanding that the world has, has changed and, and is different. But um, any thoughts? Um, I wouldn't mind starting with you again, Francis, if that's OK. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this and I mean, the one thing that I think I would certainly say this is my experience and it's all worked out great. I suppose I didn't I didn't do a lot of research into my options um, to sort of explore uh, what the scope of the different, you know, kind of opportunities I could I could go to as a, you know, as a graduate and, and even then after my PhD, I tended to sort of follow a very linear path and, and take the opportunities as they came to me instead of maybe me doing my research and going after opportunities. So my advice to my younger self would have been just to be more informed about what my options were. And, you know, in order to do that, I would be a uh, like attending events like these so I'm speaking to the, the converted here but also you know researching companies and you know looking at sort of the trends within the industry and things like that to just sort of build a picture <laughs> in my mind of you know well my plan a might be this but what would my plan b c and d be and maybe not to be so concerned i was really um just by my nature concerned about job security you know that i knew exactly it had, you know, I wanted a permanent position over a contract and that type of thing. And I would say, you know, my advice to myself would have been actually go with what really inspires you and what's putting you. You have a, a direction of travel. You might not know your end destination yet, but that keeps you moving forward and not to be afraid to take a 12 month contract because you know what? That could lead to a permanent job or lead to another opportunity. So just really follow, follow your passion, um, but be informed about what you how you go about doing that. Wonderful, thank you. Uh, I think that links back to what Rob said as well, as around, you know, do what interests you, um, and that can lead in, in a variety of different ways. So, Jerry, over to you. Yeah, so long ago, I can hardly remember. Uh, uh, I think in 1980, when I went to university, it was a very individualistic world. Okay, you, you studied on your own, you did your projects on your own, you built your own career, you went into sort of a very traditional hierarchy. Uh, and, and, and I think I did, I was learning things an awful lot that I didn't realise how important they were. Uh, in reality, you know, enterprise success is a team sport. Um, and I, I probably didn't know it at the time. 
Uh, but even things like I was captain on a university soccer team, I probably learned an awful lot through that. But most of all, I'd say the thing that I I have the same set of 12 friends who actually meet every year for a weekend. We're meeting next year from university. So that's 40 years on. And very few of them are engineers, by the way. That's probably why they're my friends. But uh, um, the importance of keeping good company, right? And I'm not just talking people. I'm talking about books. I'm talking about the programs you watch. I'm talking about doing the bit of volunteer and just engaging with society. Okay, that um, good company. You know, graduates today they have so much going for them. Okay, you, you have so much opportunity, but you need the people around you to keep you calibrated. You need them there to support you, and uh, you need them to be honest with you uh, because you need the confidence to take the risks and you know, the support to pick, pick you up if they do fail. Uh, so I would say keep good company as probably I, I was very blessed with the company I had and um, uh, I, I think that sort of stuck with me all my life. So keep good company would be there. That's a lovely piece of advice and I think hopefully like a, a good little phrase to remember uh, and it links into that piece that your job isn't just a function of something you do nine to five and it's about your whole holistic self isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Sheila then over to you. So I was trying to think of a way to phrase this and what I have is be cheeky but um, what I mean is uh, reaching out to people that you might not thought of that you would so for example if you see a company that you would like to work for as uh, Francis had advised do your research and see who the key people might be and drop them an email it's only an email they might totally ignore it and never look near it and you'll never hear from them again but you never know they might you only need to get lucky once for them to kind of say well that's interesting and they might give you some advice back in terms of well we don't have opportunities right now but look out for such and such an opportunity coming up and so on um another way to be not be cheeky but when you've done a job interview and perhaps you weren't successful you can go back to them and ask them for feedback and i know that that's obvious but there in the past um, I had gone and asked for feedback. So, for example, when I applied for position working as postdoc in Oxford, I had said, well, I didn't get that position, but I think your group is really, really interesting, doing fabulous work and I would love to work for you. And they said, well, we would strongly encourage you to apply for the next one. And I did and I got that. And another thing, too, about being cheeky was um, I would never have thought to apply for Oxford except that my partner was working over there and I needed a job. And then when you get over there, you find that actually there's a weird situation where places like Oxford and Cambridge don't have people applying for the jobs that came up again and again, like in technical positions and so on. It was almost like people thought, ah, oh, well, sure, I'm not going to, you know, maybe it would be too tough to get in there. And they found that they would only have a small number of people for the jobs they had put out. So just be really cheeky and brazen, even if you don't feel like it, force yourself to, and you never know. Thank you. Yeah, no, it, it's good advice because you don't necessarily think that at the, at the time. Um, guys, loads of golden nuggets there, I suppose. Um, lots of similar threads. And, and, you know, certainly for me, what I'll take away is that, that idea of, um, you know, being passionate, having empathy, being brave, um, keep good company. Um, and I suppose, you know, for the students who are all, you know, fantastically working away at their technical skills, which is, you know, the springboard and it's amazing, but try and also think about those in, in a broader way. Um, guys, just to let you know that Almac, Seagate and Exploristics all have live vacancies for you at the moment. They're all up on my future. Um, and the only other thing I would say is, you know, as, as our speakers have been saying is, you know, widen things out a bit. Do take advantage of the um, work shadowing, of the internships, of the placements and get some of that experience to see how it works for you moving forward. Um, so, Francis, Jerry and Sheila, thanks very much for taking time out of the business, your busy diaries. And we do know you are very busy. Um, great nuggets, sir. I think that we can um, reframe. And um, guys, we're going to um, record this and put it up on the Industry Insights area on careers so you can watch it back um, and there'll be um, some really great learning for you moving forward. Um, final thing to say is there's an industry insight session guys probably not necessarily applicable to most of this audience but it's next Tuesday at 12 o'clock you can register for it in my future and it's looking at um, legal um, legal careers. Um, so brilliant Francis, Jerry, Sheila and group thank you very much for your time.
Cheers. Thank you. Can I, can I just say just for those yeah. um, that are there, if you're interested, if you go onto the careers website, we have a virtual work experience hub. Now, I know it's mostly targeted towards post-primary, but there are day in the life videos there, many QUB graduates amongst them, and it'll give you just a, a snapshot of what their role involves. It's really important that when you're looking at jobs that you kind of have a feel and not the job description doesn't always it's a very dry way of trying to bring across a job so it's just to say that to, to, to those who are listening um as well as just joining the talent network if we will be advertising more placements but if you want to be notified and you join the talent network we'll send you a, an email alert as well so i'm sure sheila and, and jerry may have similar things i'm sorry i don't mean to grab the mic there but it was just to, to let those let those know to it might be some useful information yeah, no, that's a really useful point because you guys do have jobs up on our, um, obviously in our system, yeah. so we can look at that. But you know, do also check organisations' websites, and they'll have more resources yeah. there around recruitment. So that's a really valuable thing to do as well. Great. And the the ABPI Association for British Pharmaceutical Industry is also another good resource for careers information pertaining to the pharma industry. Um, I'll just put it through in the chat. Association for so um, I'll I'll put it in uh, the 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 ABPI. Um, Okay, so I'll get the website here just so that I'll put it in. I think it's probably www.abpi. Oh, I can type. I'll just check it out here and I'll put it in the chat very quickly. Thanks very much. Okay, so all the best, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bye bye. You have been listening to a podcast from the Careers, Employability and Skills Team at Queen's. Music by Ben Sound. To access other Industry Insights series resources at Queen's, please visit our website, go.qb.ac.uk forward slash careers, or follow at QB Careers on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.